Welcome to C-Suite Radio. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Alan here. Thanks everybody for watching and listening. I'm very excited to talk with our guest today, uh, Sarah Tiana. I've been a fan for a long time. I've had a lot of your peers on, and the question I get asked is, "Have you interviewed Sarah yet?" And I'm like, "I've been trying <laughs> for so long, and I just, it, I'm glad we were able to do it." So thanks for hanging yeah. out. I appreciate it. I, again, I just watched your recent special, but I wanted to ask you. I don't know how accurate it is, but you're from Hayward, California. Yes. Is that correct? Yeah. I was, I was born up there. We moved to Georgia when I was five. Okay. So I lived in the Bay area for a while. That's why I asked, but I wasn't sure I was in near the Sacramento area. So I guess it's technically not Bay area, but it's still Northern California. So you spent a oh, little, yeah. little bit of time there and then moved to Georgia after that. That's cool. Yeah. But I have, I have a ton of family up there. Um, like my mom's whole side is there. Um, and so we, I go up there quite a bit. I love okay. to watch baseball games up there. My grandmother worked for the Oakland A's for a long time. Yeah. And you're a huge baseball mm -hmm. fan. I think most people know that Atlanta yeah. Braves. Uh, so, and it was fun <laughs> yeah. watching you like, not that the pandemic was fun, but just watching your social media and you after slightly, I think going to games, you love to keep score. Like it's, it's a big deal for you. It's not like a fair weather fan. <laughs> like I might maybe be like catch a game, you know, it's not so much a social thing, but you're like literally there with a scorecard keeping yeah. score the entire time. Yeah. To the point where, um, uh, my boyfriend, Chris Brockman, like he, he used to get so upset that I wanted to go to the games by myself. <laughs> so now he doesn't even, like mate, he's like, what do you mean? You don't want me to come with you? I'm like, no, I I don't want you to come with me. <laughs> like, I just want to go when it's the Braves. Like, if if it's another team and just a regular game, I'm I, I don't care. But when the Braves are in town, it's a really big deal. I don't get to see them that often, and so that they're playing San Diego in two weeks. So I said, you know, let's all go down together as a family for one of the games. And he's like. Well, we can go together as a family on Monday and then you can go by yourself Tuesday and Wednesday. And I thought, oh man, I may be taking this too far. Like a <laughs> now that he knows all that. So that's funny. We'll like see. a little too much information has been shared. So yeah. obviously that's funny. Like I'm letting you in on this, but maybe I'm regretting the fact that I have let you in on it now because <laughs> it's not like yeah. 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 You're like, no, 
this is maybe I no, shouldn't. Yeah. No, no, no. I don't care. Uh, but it's just, I guess I'm more like, oh man, I've really created like this problem in my household where I think, oh man, he, but he, he loves, I mean, he's a sportscaster, so he's very right. into sports and the Red Sox. Um, and the Red Sox are his number one team. And so we kind of like, we're always uh, competing with our son to see like which baseball hat he wants to wear that day. So some days he picks Braves, some days he picks Red Sox. Today he chose Red Sox because his dad uh, got him a Red Sox shirt with Captain America on it. So he wanted to wear (laughs) that today. And I thought, man, all right, I got to step up my game a little bit. (laughs) I love it. That's fun. I have an eight-year-old too. And we, I co-parent with his mom and they are diehard Denver Broncos fans uh, because oh. they're from Colorado and I lived in the Bay. So I was a Giants fan or 49ers fan. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Even baseball, I was Oakland. They liked the Giants. So it was always mm-hmm. a competition between us. Um, mm-hmm. And he came home one day and he's like, my stepdad said the Oakland A's suck. So I was just <laughs> like, yeah, this is like at five and a half, six years old, but I digress. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. Being a parent is fun. Uh, and it's interesting mm-hmm. to kind of see how that works. Well, I want to talk about your special 44, which was great. I loved it. You filmed it at the comedy Thank store, you. which I think is so cool. Um, and you talk a lot about your family uh, and just experiences. I'm interested to know, because I know it's different for every comedian, sort of how they decide they're going to do it or when they're going to do it. How does that work for you? Like, how do you decide, all right, I'm ready to put a special together or I want to put something together and film it and put it out. And it's on YouTube, by the way, and we'll link it in the show notes so people can access it. Thank you. Yeah, I think uh, I'm... um... Oh man, I'm just like so behind the times when it comes to putting out content. I think I've gotten better at it because I've hired people to kind of help me with it. It's just not my first instinct to put out things and think like, oh, everybody's going to want to watch this. I kind of, um, I feel like I just kind of kill in, in the abyss a lot. Like I'm just like having really good shows in the shadows and the rest of the world doesn't really know. And so sometimes it takes a little bit of convincing to to get me to, to put a special out. And so during the pandemic, I was actually going to put one out. Um, Cause I got approached by a company that wanted to do it and it didn't work out. It just wasn't the right terms. And I didn't really like the, the setting. And then um, the comedy store came to me last year and said, Hey, we're getting into the, the specials game and we want to start with you. Yeah, And that was just like an incredible feeling because it's my home club and it's the comedy store. It's, you know, one of the greatest comedy clubs in the country. And so uh, I, I felt very honored that they wanted to do it. I think they also did it because they knew if I had a good experience, that would go a long way with my referral to other comedians if they wanted to shoot more. Um, and so, and I, and then I ended up only making it 30 minutes because I was really bad. Here's the other thing. I don't like listening to my voice. So I never recorded my set. And then I lost probably half an hour of material oh, wow. <laughs> during COVID because I just forgot it. 
and then didn't really have it written down or anywhere. And so I just kind of lost it. So now I'm very good about recording everything. And I said, well, you know, I, I do have a half hour that I can at least put out there. You know, I think we, I think we taped 40 minutes and I just cut it down to half an hour. And I said, this is good enough. You know, like this is plenty. Um, it shows exactly who I am and where I am at this point in my life. And I, I wanted to do it with the comedy store because again, that's the place I'm most comfortable, you know, and it's pretty prestigious. It's hugely prestigious. I mean, the comedy store is like, it's a piece of pop culture history. There was the special that came out, I think a year or two ago that documented the store and everybody that's mm-hmm. come through it. Uh, and I mean, it's just the place to be. And I think it's cool that they are now getting onto that space and doing specials too, because when you have all the big hits like Netflix or Hulu or whatever, but then mm-hmm. to be able to do it in your home club where you say you're comfortable and do people know that you're taping a special that night when they come to see you or do they just show up, see you kill and murder an audience comically on a big, not, not literally kill, but, and then just do like a great set. And then it's like, Oh, by the way, we're taping this. I don't know if it would make a difference <laughs> to an audience if they, they knew they were being recorded. Okay. Yeah, they do. They have to put up signs because obviously they might be in it accidentally because we had roaming cameras. So you have to let people know and be aware. Uh, It was during the Netflix is a joke festivals and myself and Justin Martindale taped our specials on the same night. So it was both of us back to back. And um, so we were kind of the first two that they started with and then they released mine. And then I think Justin's just came out this month. Yeah, I so. got a notification for that. That's so cool. I mean, yeah. I have I've been to LA many times. I've not ever been able to make it to the store. We were gonna go, and it was just right before the pandemic, and then everything shut down. And I was yeah. just like, "Is this meant to be?" Uh, I was so frustrated. Yeah. We had tickets, like we were ready to go. Oh, we were there man. taping interviews for other stuff, and then all of a sudden, the world came to a halt. But oh that's my right. goodness. Yeah, it was a bummer. But we're still open. If you want to come back, and I'll definitely get you tickets whenever you want. Yeah, it's cool because we had one of your uh, peers, Earl Skakel, on, I think about a year ago. Mm -hmm. And he said the same thing. He's like, dude, you come to LA, let us know. And then he was another one that said, Have you had Sarah on yet? I'm like, I'm trying to get (laughs) her on. And I just sometimes information to connect with people isn't always current or updated. I was digging around recently and saw that your representation had changed. I was like, let me take a swing at this again. And cool. So here we are. That's so glad. That's very cool. I appreciate the kind thoughts on that. I, I want to make it out there soon, maybe over the summertime, uh, which, Great. yeah, it's very cool. And I like the way that you shot it. It was, it was cool. One of the things I like about your comedy, I mean, there's a lot of things. And most recently, this special 44 is I feel like when I'm watching you and you're telling jokes and stories, I don't know how to say it. Cause I, I just know what I've seen from watching you and others and what other people have said, but it just seems very natural. Like we're, we're getting a really clear snapshot of who you are. Uh, you're a mom. Now you make, you talk about your kid, your, your boyfriend, which everybody knows who he is. It's just fun. Like, it's just very natural. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I don't feel like, I don't want to say pretentious, but 
although you've been practicing and rehearsing or whatever or doing sets, it just all seems pretty straightforward and natural. You know what I mean? And I think that's I think what makes because it relatable. It's honest. I don't tell any, you know, everything I talk about on stage is real. It really happened to me. These are all circumstances that I notice. Um, I believe in what I'm saying. You know, I think I think in comedy you go through phases of your career where you're just doing jokes about things you think you're supposed to be talking about. And then when you start being truly honest about who you are and you're not afraid to tell people the truth, you get a lot funnier. And and I kind of go back into those moments in my life when I'm talking. I'm talking about you know, having a 10 pound baby, or I'm talking about being in, at my boyfriend's rec league game, I'm physically there in my head, I'm reimagining being there. And so I think my comedy, what I try to be is very present. Uh, and like, even r right now, I have this bit about how I'm old, and I'm cranky, and I don't want to do the things that I used to do. Like, I don't like to leave my house. And then I say, I don't want to be here. And, you know, if in my mind, I think, I think, man, I hope they don't think I don't want to be here. Then that joke doesn't work. But when I just commit to it and I'm honest, because most of, I never do want to be, I never want to be anywhere, but in my bed, <laughs> I'm just like a Willy Wonka grandpa at this point. So that's, uh, that's what a toddler does to you. They just beat you down to where you're yes. like, all I want you to do is sleep. And all I want is to sleep. And so, you know, when I, when I commit to that, when I'm honest about it, uh, that joke always works. So I think honesty on stage is what people can really relate to. An audience is very um, sensitive. An audience can read your own energy. And if you don't believe what you're saying, they can tell. And there's something off. They might yeah. not know what it is. They just know something's different. Like I could say, I really don't feel like they want to be here. And then the audience gets <laughs> uncomfortable. So I always use this as a reference I kid, I've had so many, I love talking to comics. I, I find even more so than like, I do a lot of interviews with film and TV and actors, but I like mm -hmm. comedians because I feel like what you're doing is just so different, even outside of that, because you're putting yourself out there. You're standing on a stage, albeit you're, you're, you know, you're working out material you're doing these things. And when we see it like this special, it's so flawless and honest. It doesn't make people feel uncomfortable. I always use the example of Anthony Jeselnik because he's so mm -hmm. different. Like mm -hmm. if he was really that way, I don't know. He might be, I don't know him. I've never spoken to it, but some of the things he <laughs> says, it's just like, it could make somebody feel very uncomfortable, but you know, it, although it's a persona, it's coming from an honest place and that's why I think this special is super relatable. Well, I want to ask you about that because you you're a mom, you you have a toddler. I have an 8-year-old, so I've I've been through some of those things, but I still feel beat down even in a, with an 8-and-a-half-year-old <laughs> sometimes. I'm like, I don't want you to sit in front of your screen all day, but I would be okay with it if you did so I can work on stuff. Yeah, uh, I know. Sometimes she'll tell me, "Don't you have something you want to do? Don't you want to go sit over there?" <laughs> and work on your podcast so I can be uh, left alone. Um, sure. Yeah. So let's talk about it now that this, all this has changed for you. How does that affect your, as far as your comedy, obviously you talk about it in this, but your, 
the ability to the way you see things, um, how you approach writing, how you approach finding your point of view, has any of that changed now being a parent outside of what you talk about uh, in your current special? I mean, obviously, like my approach to comedy is always the same. I would say my views on the world are a little bit different. My views on myself are different. Um, I'm much more afraid of things than I used to be. I, you know, before you have children, I was just like, no, I don't care. Like I was, I thought, oh, if I want to, the best way to die would be in a plane crash because I'd probably pass out. I've already been in a plane that's been going down at once. You know, so I know you start to pass out. I'll probably be drinking. I'll probably be in first class and my family will get money from the airline. Like everybody wins. Uh, <laughs> but that was before I had a child. And then you, like now I get on an airplane and I'm like, oh my God, like, you know, I don't want him to be an orphan. And, and so like your, your mind just races with like terror constantly. Uh, I was never someone that was afraid of really anything. I just lived my life like I wanted to every day now I have to think of somebody else first uh it's a huge adjustment but uh and I thought I would have so much more material about him that that's the other thing I thought oh having a baby is really gonna open up my world no I mean I'm like so tired to even write about him like I, I like I just feel constantly exhausted and so I write down little things here and there and and then I try them out. And like, now I probably have a new 20, 25 minutes that I've been working on since we shot the special. And, and, you know, I think when you're talking about interviewing actors and stuff like that, and that comedians are very different. I think when you see an actor, you usually see the final product, right. uh, or you see them being interviewed about their final product. You never see every single audition that they go through. Mm -hmm. And then every single take. And then, you know, when you see them on um, in a movie, you're, you're getting the very best take. And that's what a special is supposed to be. A special is supposed to be our best take. But our regular performances at night are just our constant audition where we're just trying, trying, trying to work it out, trying to figure it out. And I, I mean, it for me, I, it takes me a really long time. It, it will take me months to work out one bit. Uh, to, to get it to where I'm like, oh, this is really, really tight. I've honed it. I've worked it. I've trimmed it. I've taken this out. I've moved it. I've spread this part out. I've moved this shorter, you know, just added a word here or there. It takes, it takes months and months of refining. And so I think, you know, when people go, oh, I've always wanted to be a comedian. People think I'm so funny. I go, well, that's, that's great. The test is the you know, people you don't know think you're funny. That's the biggest test. And then also, I think when you're really good at comedy, a lot of people think they can do it because you've made it look effortless. It's right. supposed to look easy. It's supposed to look easy, uh, but it's not. It's very hard. It takes months and months and months of work just for what, for me, for like a five minute bit, it'll probably take me three to four months minimum to get that bit where I want it to be. Now that's not the only bit I'm working on, but it's still, it's, it takes time. It does. And I've heard that said before too. It's like, there's funny, funny, like levity lightning a situation, maybe out of nervousness, but like yeah. get that same personality around a different group of people who doesn't know you. 
and they might find you yeah. obnoxiously annoying and go, why? <laughs> this guy never shuts up. So, but it's funny to mm-hmm. like hear that. And, and I've heard that before. And I actually think it's so cool because when we watch you, it does look so effortless. It's just like you're walking around, you're talking. And do you write things down? Do you write bullet points? Everybody's different or do you have an idea or like a premise and then you just go on stage and what sticks to the wall, what people find funny. Um, it's usually just a couple bullet points and then that those bullet points expand. Um, now I've started typing it out on the computer because I used to just write bullet points in a notebook. Um, but then, like I said, over COVID, I just forgot so much and the bullet points didn't really help me. So now you know, so a lot of times I approach a joke like I do a writing project where I'm like, okay, my assignment today is to write about this baseball game. And, you know, and so then I'll try to write as many jokes about that baseball game, you know. So then when I'm doing a bit about true crime, I'll try to sit down and write as many jokes as I can about true crime and then try to form them together. You know, I, I start with a nugget and then I move it. Like I, I used to have this bit about clubs and and going to clubs now that I'm in my 40s yeah (laughs) now that I'm you know and you know that bit just started with me saying like I'll you know I don't like going to clubs because all I want to do is sit down but that costs a thousand (laughs) dollars and so that's how that joke started and then you know then and now it's like it turned into a six minute bit that's a good Um, bit by the way I really like that (laughs) thank you that's one of my one I'm, of my favorite bits of all time. I'm 48, so like I get that moment that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, except I feel that way when I take my kid to the jump park where the trampolines are. Mm-hmm. I feel like I don't belong here. This 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 is crazy. That's so cool. I love it. Well, speaking of writing, you have performed at roast, you write for the roast. I know you've talked about it before in other interviews, and if I understand it's I can't remember which one you were talking about. I think it was the Rich Eisen show maybe or something where you're talking about you mm-hmm. You all get together, you put the jokes in a bank and then the jokes get assigned mm-hmm. to whoever's performing them. Is that typically how it works? Because, I mean, I feel like you're the master at that. You and a few others of some mm-hmm. of these jokes are just like, I don't know. It's crazy some of the things that you guys say, <laughs> but it's it's hilarious but it's just interesting. Mm-hmm. How does that part work in, in retrospect as far as yeah. like, say you're getting ready to roast somebody? Is it all the same? So like say um, we're roasting Bruce Willis or whoever, it is, you know, Rob Lowe. And then we get a booking. We go, oh, okay. Um, we just booked Ann Coulter, right? So then the assignment that day is like, everybody write jokes about Ann Coulter and everybody write jokes for Ann Coulter to say about Rob Lowe. So then now you just start writing all of these into a bank, right? Now, when it comes to a final script, Rob gets precedent. He's the he's who we're roasting. So he gets first choice, basically, at the bank. Um, that person should always have all the best jokes from the writer's room. Now certain comics might write their own or or use outside writers and obviously those aren't in the bank so those are all yours that you can do whatever you want and then like sometimes we'll 
X things out or go, oh, you can't say that because it's too similar to one that Rob's saying and he gets that one. So usually they go into a bank and then whoever's assigned to Ann Coulter will take the like the jokes that we wrote for her to say and then some other ones about everyone else and then um and then just form a script so they they mostly all come from the bank but then you're also writing these in between jokes you're writing the transitions you're creating a whole flow of them to say like how do you go from ann coulter to rob riggle you know what i mean like so you you just you have to um try to seamlessly weave together um, a script <laughs> and that's, that's the cool. hard part but that's usually what my biggest you know I, I was always good at writing jokes but really finding someone's voice and putting it together that was that was kind of my claim to fame like I did that for Riggle that was the first time I wrote for Riggle really like I had written for Riggle's picks but he didn't really know me that well and um, and then I produced his segment for the Rob Lowe roast. And then he was like, and, and I did all these like crazy like yells that he would normally say. And he just thought, oh my gosh, this is completely in my voice. So that's when we first started working together as a team. That has to feel really good too, as a writer and a comic to be able to have that skill set to write in their voice, like, Cause I remember that and that's those things that he was saying sounds like something he would do, whether he's just in a film or a normal conversation, yeah. holy moly, whatever the case might be. Like, it's just so iconic, you know? You know, now that I'm thinking about it, I think a lot of it is because of, um, you know, like you said, I was born in Hayward, but I grew up in Georgia. And so I was constantly, constantly adapting my own voice to the people around me. Like my parents talked one way at home. My friends talked one way at school. So sometimes my accent goes in and out. People are like, oh, where'd your accent go? And I'm like, well, it's because you don't have an accent. I'm always mimicking whoever is talking to me. So if you are British, I might have a British accent. You know, I might be like a weird Madonna person. Um, but I think <laughs> having that ear for people and like knowing how they talk has always been something that I've been very um, sensitive to now that you're you're the first person I've ever said that to. But I think that's exactly where it comes from. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say that because having watched a lot of your work, whether it be a special or a roast or some event where you're presenting, yeah, the accent comes in and out, but it's different. I mean, I'm from Kansas originally, and people think that people from Kansas have accents, and I'm like, I don't know what you're <laughs> talking about, but I get it. Even here in Colorado, I've noticed. It's just interesting. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's cool. We have a first here in a conversation. Yeah. That always makes uh, an interviewer feel good. So you alluded to it earlier at the beginning of our conversation. So you're not always on all the time because that would be just impossible to be on <laughs> all the time. I know some comics, and it's not a dig, are always doing bits. Well, let me ask it this way. When you're at the uh -huh. comedy store, when you have time to be there, are you a hang comic that you're just always working bits off your peers or you just come into a set, say hi to people. I don't want to pull the carton too far back because there is a bit of a mystique to what you do. And 
I've had other comedians say that. So I don't want to let people too far into your world and just show them how the woman is sawn in half, so to speak. Because I, <laughs> I think that's what makes what you do so cool, honestly. Um, I am not really a, a hanger uh, anymore. Um, but I also, a lot of that is because I, a lot, most of the time when I'm at the comedy store, I have the opening spot. So I might be there first. Okay. Um, so I, I really have to wait. Um, and I love having the opening spot. It's the only spot that's on time and it pays the same. And if I were booking a show, I would want me opening too. Cause I'm jolly. I'm clean. I'm nice. It's like, I'm a very nice coaxing in, but I have tons of jokes. So I'm going to get you into a rhythm of laughing. And then I'm kind of setting everybody up for success that follows. Uh, that's your job when you open. Now, lately I have been closing the rooms, which is really different for me or uh, just going going second or third, which is the real sweet spot. Um, so, you know, then I usually do hang because I get there very early. <laughs> I'm always afraid of being late. Um, and But we don't really run bits by each other. That's kind of a comedy I would say it's kind of a faux pas unless it's something where you go, Hey, I have this new bit. Can you help me with a tag? Like okay. the scholars are very good at that. The scholars will tag you up. The scholars were, are like, Oh, let me tell you something new. Do you have a tag? And then I'm like, yes, I do. Do you have one for me about this? And then they're probably one of the few people, the few people, I would say plural that because they are plural um, that I would do that with. I mean, sometimes Jezelnik too. Jezelnik is really, Jezelnik is a great joke writer. We used to, we ran a, a comedy room together, you know, really early on, probably in our first or second year of comedy. And we would meet up at his place before the show, write jokes and walk over to the show and do the show and try them out. That's cool. you know, And he's somebody that writes every day. I'm not somebody that writes every day. I'm somebody that, if I will write it down when I think about it. I'm just a slow, I'm a, I'm a tortoise. I'm going to, if I'm going to win the race, you're not going to see it coming. I'm not the hare. I'm not full speed ahead. Yeah. But that works for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, and your life is, is different, right? You have a kid, you're in a relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you're busy. So it, it would be, you have like, to me, it seems like the extremes of like a Seinfeld <laughs> who's always on, always writing, says it's a painstaking job for him, but the reward comes when he finds that piece of gold in the moment, whether, I don't know how he does it, If, but do you know, you know what I mean? So then there's mm -hmm. like everybody else and you have like your lane that works for you. And as we wrap here, just going back to what you said at the beginning, it's like, you know, it's not a special every six months, every year, every two years, but it's like you're doing all these bomb shows everywhere all the time. You're touring and performing and doing great sets. And then it's like, oh, Sarah has a special. And you're like, yeah, but I'm I I'm here. You know what I mean? Like I'm still killing it mm -hmm. and doing stuff. And I think that's one of the things that Thank I find you. impressive about. Very true. Like I said, if you only knew the conversations I've had with your peers about how you've come up so many times in conversations you might have said That's no so to the nice. conversation well it's true i mean for real um well i appreciate it i know you're busy i i'm excited 
Um, if you're ever in the Denver area, I would love to come out and catch you. I don't know if you make it to the Rocky Mountains very, and we say Rocky Mountains, so everybody knows that I'm bougie and I live in Colorado now. So. <laughs> I have no plans on being there um, other than maybe to take in a baseball game uh, because I haven't been to that stadium. Uh, but I have no plans to tour yet until I finish this new hour to take it out to practice. Or I mean, I probably need about, yeah, it's going to be a little while before I get back on the road, but I will get out there and I will let you know. Thank you. Well, congratulations on the special 44. It's now streaming on YouTube. You can check it out. Um, and then all your other work is out there too, that you've done in the roast um, and your website has all that info. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. It's really been a pleasure chatting with you. I, I've really been looking forward to this conversation for a while. Oh, good. I appreciate your time. I really do. Thank you so much, Sarah. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I hope you have a great day. You too. Thank you so much.